This is episode 341 of The Real Me and Colin, a movie podcast. On this week's episode, Chase is going to take a look at all the A24 films from 2021 and the ones that he missed and catching up on and just having a whole conversation about A24. Should be a lot of fun. Which films is he going to like the most? You'll just have to tune in and find out. This episode starts right now. Hey, what's going on, everyone, and welcome to episode 341 of The Real Me and Colin, a movie podcast. I'm one of your co-hosts, Chase Lee, and thank you for joining me on this episode, day or night, or whenever you're listening to this. Um, I just hope you're having a great day. Um, and so before I begin this episode, if you guys could please spread this episode around and let people know this is your favorite movie podcast to listen to, that would be much appreciated. You guys' support throughout all these years means a lot to me, and it keeps me going. It keeps me motivated. Even if I have long breaks like this and come back, you guys keep this thing going, so I really do appreciate it. This is episode 341. Like I said at the top, I'm going to be going over A24 films that I have missed from last year, doing a lot of catch-up. It seems like with a lot of the pushing of these movies and stuff uh, from January, it gives me an opportunity to kind of catch up on a lot of different things that I've missed in 2021 and just give you guys a bunch of bunch of episodes of just catching up on many, many films. So the ones I want to catch up on are A24 specific. Um, I realized this when I was, um, when I watched like The Green Knight and watched a couple others, I was like, wow, A24 had a pretty decent year. And then I realized, oh wait, I actually missed quite a bit. So I'm going to be going over at Zola, uh, The Humans, Come On, Come On, and Red Rocket. So those are the reviews that you guys are going to be, get fired at you all at once. Um, so it should be a lot of fun. Um, but before we get into all that, I got to ask, how you guys doing? You guys doing pretty good? I I missed every single one of you. Um, I had some personal health issues and... Um, you know, I was in the hospital for, for a week. Everything's fine. Um, but you guys know, if, if you're new to the show, um, I'll go ahead and just tell you right now, I have Crohn's and so Crohn's disease. And so, so sometimes I'm hospitalized. It is what it is. Um, but if you're, if you're a returning listener and you've already heard this before, like you guys already know, I've, I've actually recorded an episode in the hospital before. So I got that going for me. But, um, yeah, it's just one of those things to where I wanted to do this episode for the longest time. I already watched all four of the movies, and so I was ready to record, but had to go to the hospital. It is what it is, and so now I'm back. My voice is a little out of it, um, but other than that, I am ready to recording it back into it because I, I did promise you guys this episode, and I'm going to keep my promise. So, yeah, so that's what's been going on with me, um, you know, <laughs> like when you're in the hospital, you just have a lot of stuff to think about. And like, I was just thinking like, Hey, which episodes am I going to do? Like, you know, I think, you know, uh, I'm going to do the A24 episode. I want to do like a top five anticipated of the year episode. And then I want to do like a matrix resurrections and licorice pizza episode. And then I think I'll do a Belfast and French dispatch uh, episode. You'll probably get a hotel Transylvania four and scream episode. So I was, I was trying to figure out which ones to pair and like how I could do that and everything and what I want to do this month because since a lot of films are being pushed back, there's not really much to discuss. I The only two films I have lined up in terms of new releases are Scream and Hotel um, Transylvania Trans, 
Transformania or whatever it's called, those are the only ones that I have lined up. And so I figured I'd utilize this month to catch up on a lot of different things. And so when I was receiving these screeners and stuff, I was like, I want to do better this year. And I want to, you know, talk about some of the ones that might have awards considerations and all that stuff. And so that's, that's just kind of the route I wanted to go with this, but, um, yeah, so A24 for this episode, excited to talk about them uh, with, with you guys. It's going to be a very long discussion with four reviews back-to-back, but um, hopefully you guys enjoy it. But, um, but yeah, I, I hope everyone's doing well out there. I hope everyone's taking care of themselves. I, you know, it, it's, a, it's a new year, um, but we are already facing obstacles and roadblocks and stuff, you know, with uh, COVID surges and everything, so I just... You know, I hope everyone's just doing doing good out there. And, you know, if, there, if you ever need someone to talk to, if you want to reach out to myself or Joel, we're more than happy to talk with you. Um, Twitter, email, whatever. Uh, it's important for people to talk to people. You know, I'm learning that. Um, I, I'm learning to communicate with, like, with my wife more, you know, just with people around me, you know, making sure I don't hold stuff in and like, you don't want that stuff to boil over. You don't want that stuff to fester inside of you. You want to, you want to be open. You want to be vulnerable. You want, you want people to understand you. Like you don't want to get shut off. And so just, just know that like with everything going on, you will have someone out there that can speak to you. And if if it's myself or whomever, that's totally fine. And I just want to make sure like everyone, everyone out there is, is doing good. And you're probably asking yourself, are you saying all this because you're not doing good? That could be it. Um, I think sometimes I'm doing okay, sometimes I'm not. And I think that's okay to admit that. And so, um, I, you know, like I said, I had a lot of time just thinking of the hospital. And I just wanted to just relay that information to you guys. So I am always here. Uh, if you, you guys need me, uh, I do not mind um, talking to you. So... Yeah, uh, I hope everyone's doing well out there. Hopefully, you're doing the same thing as me and you are catching up on everything that we have missed in the glorious year of 2021. Um, and so, I'm trying to think of like things that I have been watching uh, since I last talked to you guys. I do know that I had a lot of free time in the the hospital, so I watched um, some movies. Um, watched Back to the Future one, two, and three. Always good watches. I am the the person out there that likes two more than one. Always have, always will. Um, one is still fantastic, still a classic in my books, but number two, I just thought it elevated number one and it was its own thing. I loved um, the Almanac storyline. I just, there's just something about part two that really, um, really gets my gears going, you know? <laughs> so yeah, really, really uh, watch those three in the hospital and then uh, I was, they had cable in there, right? So I was flipping to TNT and they had Black Panther on. So I watched it, you know, it, when you're in the hospital and you can't eat for several days and um, you just don't know the future of your condition or whatever, you just want to watch something happy. And so it was just something exciting. And so I was just like, oh, and funny, funny little story. Since I, I couldn't eat for six days before uh, my colonoscopy, my heart rate was at like 42 on average. I was like half dead the entire time. So I figured 
watching um, like blockbusters or action films, it might excite me, get my heart rate up. So that's what I was also trying to do and be like, hey, nurse, like I'm good now. It's like I'm alive. Um, but yeah, I thought that was kind of funny. I was like I was trying to watch like action films to like spike up my heart rate and it still wasn't working. Um, but hey, my body was in like reserves at that point. So that's 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 exactly why. But yeah, I watched Black Panther. Um, great film. Um, and nice little tease into, you know, uh, next episode when I talk about top five anticipated. Uh, Wakanda Forever is definitely up there. Um, and I'm curious to see what they're going to do with it. But yeah, Blood Panther is great. And so afterwards, I was like, well, I'm in the mood to just go ahead and continue the the storyline, right? So I watched um, uh, Avengers Infinity War and Avengers Endgame after my wonderful wife brought my Xbox to the hospital room and I played video games and watched whatever. And so I uh, saw Infinity War and Endgame back to back. Listen, I know a lot of people out there despise Marvel films. That's fine. If it's not your bag, it's not your bag. I'm not one of these people that will claim that Marvel's better than anything that's ever existed. No, not in the slightest. Um, I want to be a film lover of all film. I want to love indie film. I want to love foreign cinema. I want to love blockbusters. I want to love stupid films. I want to love all of it because that is that is the medium. That is what we are given. It's a. It's just a... A display of everything and like I, I i just i want it all uh, i don't care what it is i give anything a shot all that to say this i still think infinity war and endgame um are two of the most pivotal blockbusters of the 21st century they're such huge event films and just rewatch i've seen them a million times but like just rewatching, i'm like it's going to be hard to get something like this in the pop culture uh, once again. I know like Spider-Man No Way Home did that for a lot of people, but man, there was something special about watching all those movies kind of come up to this point and just watch all these characters finally do what they were set out to do and setting up all these movies for. And Infinity War is such a blast from start to finish, nonstop action. And then it ends with the one of the most iconic endings I've ever seen in a theater with a crowd. And people gasping when people start dusting away and stuff. It's so great. And then Endgame is also fantastic. What a great closing to that story. It's it's seriously one of the best like five and a half hour blockbuster stories that I have ever seen. In terms of just blockbuster satisfaction. Great stuff. Um, like I said, I'm not sitting here proclaiming it is the best thing of all time. And I realize that there's people out there that hate Marvel and all that stuff. And uh, it's all, you know... I'm only about independent foreign... Like, I get it. People are in different camps. I like all of it. But I'm telling you, just re-watching it again, I'm just like... I don't think I'm ever going to experience that again. Unless Kevin Feige can do it again with another storyline or whatever. But, like, starting from 2008 and then leading up to that point, it's good stuff. Like, it really is. And so, it just got me excited about the future of Marvel. And my wife and I were talking about, like the Marvels and Guardians of the Galaxy 3 and Thor 4 and Doctor Strange 2 and like where this could all go. It's just, it's such a great blockbuster. It really is. And so um, I watched Infinity War and Endgame in the hospital. Absolutely uh, love those to pieces. Um, and then we're still watching uh, the Sex and the City reboot, re thing. I, I, you know, what do, what do you call it? Just a continuation miniseries. 
and just like that. Um, yeah, I mean, it's sure. <laughs> um, it, it's interesting to see them at their, the points in their lives and everything. Um, but yeah, I, and I'm, I'm kind of a, a completist because we watched the whole series and the movies and the sequel, uh, was absolute trash. And so I'm like, I don't want to watch any more of it, but we started watching and then, you know, it's, it's whatever. Um, watch like the 40 year old version the other night, always a classic. Um, I was kind of in the mood to watch something with Paul Rudd that isn't evil and despicable. I'm talking with my friend, Brad, uh, who was also a wonderful listener of this show. Um, he was telling me that he, uh, he was watching, um, the street next door. And <laughs> I, I, like, I'm telling people like th- that show is going to change your perspective of Paul Rudd. Like you're going to want to hate him and you're going to want to feel so bad for Will Ferrell. Like it, there's such career defining performances for both of them. It's incredible. And so, um, it's just really funny because Brad and I were having conversations <laughs> the the one that made me chuckle the most was when he sent the message I hate Paul Rudd now and I was like yeah yeah you do <laughs> it's just like by episode five and six like you just you want that man to be eviscerated off the face of the earth because of how just grossly he took advantage of people it's um it's something to behold man it's 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 a really great performance but yeah I wanted to watch something like with a funny Paul Rudd performance so I was like I love the four year old version I just I love that era of Apatow comedy where it's fast improv, bunch of people just hanging out, being friends, being goofy. And they're really just a fun time. It makes you feel like you're a part of this group and you're just having a blast with them. I remember, um, I never saw 40 year old version in theaters cause I was 15 at the time. Um, and I wasn't working at the movie theater, so I couldn't, couldn't sneak in there. But when knocked up came out, I was 17. I was working at the theater at the time, so I could easily just pop in. And that was my first like true Apatow theater experience where I got to really enjoy just the fast nature that those movies operated on. And I absolutely uh, had a blast with it. And then I still remember to this day, to kind of go off on a little tangent, I still remember seeing Superbad for the first time. Crowded theater, maybe 300 people in there. People losing their dang minds at everything. Like to a point where like they were laughing so hard that it was overlapping in some of the dialogue from the characters. And so I missed some of the jokes the first time. It was just such a, a, a laugh riot. I just had such a fun time with it. And that's also one of my favorites too. I also experienced that with uh, the hangover, the first hangover. I saw the movie three times in theaters, every single time people, um, people just lost it. And it was just, I, I love that theater experience. I, I love when people, not annoyingly get involved because they're you can overstep your boundaries, but like when people are just enjoying themselves, like clapping and laughing and just all that stuff, like that's fantastic. Like, like when I went to go see Spider-Man No Way Home, it was a, a press-only screening. Couldn't even, I couldn't even bring my wife. I couldn't I couldn't bring anyone. So it was just all press in that room. And even then, like some of the press were like cheering and clapping and stuff, and like it just it just made such a difference. To just hear the enthusiasm and the excitement of just being back in a communal experience, like experiencing something for the first time, having it unfold in front of you and just really be in the moment. That's special, man. And so, yeah, I just, uh, I really like the theater experience. But, you know, nice little tangent to go off on there. But, um, yeah, we saw, uh, I, yeah, we saw 40 year old version. 
Also watch Re Wedding Crashers. Um, I don't know why I'm in this raunchy comedy mood. Just feeling a little down right now, and so I just wanted to watch stuff that are funny. <laughs> Simple way to put it, but um, yeah, uh, Wedding Crashers also like I wanted to watch it again because of I think the sequel is still coming out. I don't know if that's act an actual thing, but I think they were saying they were working on it. Um, Wedding Crashers is, is good. Um, Rewatching it again. Don't really know if that relationship holds up between Owen Wilson and Rachel McAdams. They only knew each other for like three days. And they're like, yeah, it's true love. Guess we'll see you soon. And then six months later, all right, let's get together. It's just, I don't really know if I fully buy that relationship. I definitely buy like the Vince Vaughn, Isla Fisher relationship more in that movie just because they're both kind of cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs and they deserve each other. But um, yeah, I, I don't know if that the, the main relationship holds up, um, but it's still a good time. Um, and Bradley Cooper plays the villain. I want to see him play more roles like that. Um, but yeah, another fun little watch. I'm trying to think of like what else. Oh, I finished F is for Family, the last season. Uh, very sad to see it go, but um, good little show. Now, because uh, I'm catching up on a lot of stuff, and I'm looking forward to um, Ozark, uh, season four, part one. Um, that drops next week on Netflix. So looking forward to that. Finished It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia, the new season. A really poignant season. Really uh, really enjoy the route that they're going with some of the, the choices that they're making and making... Um, what's the best way to put it? Like they're... They're making them a little bit more... Human and a little bit more like emotionally attachable... Because it's, it's a show about deplorable people, right? Making stupid decisions and doing and saying stupid things. That's why we laugh, we laugh at their expense, right? But there was a lot of episodes in this season where it just, I don't know, really touching stuff. So, you know, if that's the route they're going to go for the next few seasons, it's cool to me. I hate the fact that it was short, short season, but, you know, COVID, I understand that. So uh, I'll just take what we can get. But, yeah, uh, finished up that. I'm trying to think what else I've finished up i think that's it yeah um and the wife and i are gonna watch the witcher season two at some point i'm sure i'll have some feedback on that and we'll probably watch tiger king at some point probably too far gone at this point um the novelty's kind of gone in my my eyes but i'm also completist um and there's a couple other shows i know we want to watch i know we want to start su succession on HBO. I've seen the pilot before, but it's been so long, I wouldn't mind rewatching it. But um, excited to start that journey. And then also, really looking forward to this Sunday, Euphoria Season 2 and The Righteous Gemstone Season 2. So you guys will probably get little um, reviews of that sprinkled throughout uh, the episodes this month. So looking forward to that. And then, I don't know if I'm going to start the Book of Boba Fett soon. I just, I like The Mandalorian, but it's just, it's really hard for me to like, want to get into that so i don't know my mind is kind of all over the place now but that is pretty much it in terms of catch up um in terms of like what just what we've been watching what's been going on out there um and i'm excited to continue doing this um you know uh this year is going to be a little weird if movies keep getting pushed so i don't know what type of content i can make for you guys but i'll figure it out uh just thank you for joining me on this journey so speaking of catch up 
Let's go ahead and when we come back from the break, let's talk about A24 films that I have missed, my reviews on them, and maybe some of their awards chances. Going to be a fun conversation. I will see see you when we get back. And welcome back to the episode. Uh, Let's not waste any more time. This is going to be a very lengthy discussion. So let's go ahead and break down some of the A24 films that, my voice just cracked, A24 films that I missed last year. Now, I watched a few of them and reviewed them on my YouTube channel, the most prominent one being The Green Knight, one of my favorites. And so I realized by the end of the year, there was just a lot that I missed and people were talking about Red Rocket or At Zola, The Humans, Come On, Come On. And I I was thinking to myself, wow, how incredibly lazy was I to miss these four movies? And so when I had access to these four films, I decided to watch them and review them for you all. I also decided to make this easier and not have four separate reviews and clicking on four separate videos or four separate podcasts. There's just no need for that. So I'm going to lump it all right here. You're going to get one nice little long A24 video, and I'm going to go through the four that I just mentioned at the top uh, of the ones that I missed from last year and just give you my thoughts on them and see if they have any awards chances. And we're just going to have like a a nice little discussion here. So um, yes, sorry this took so long to come out. Uh, I had some personal health issues. I'm back on my feet now, um, but I wanted to get this out because I did watch these four before I took my break, and I just thought it was a disservice that I didn't you know, provide this uh, information for you guys. So um, yeah, so let's go ahead and talk about some of the A24 films that I have missed. But first of all, I would like to say A24 had a pretty, a pretty good year. Uh, definitely some highs, definitely some whatevers, and definitely some lows. But then again, that's usually how that company runs, where they're going to have a couple that are standouts that they're really going to push for awards considerations. And then you're going to have a few that just go by the wayside or people just never talk about ever again. And so, you know, that's that's the way it is every year. And that's the way it was in 2021. OK, so one of the films that they uh, they dropped uh, last year that, you know, I think it was on a delay for a couple years because it was supposed to come out in 2020. But they kept pushing it, obviously, because of COVID. And so now it finally came out in the summertime at Zola. Now, this one is actually based on a Twitter thread uh, that went viral for a little bit. And it was just this long, crazy story about one uh, stripper's night out with a friend and how crazy it, it got. I didn't read the full thread, so I had no context of the story or the characters. And so I was really intrigued to see how they were going to present that in a fictional film. And so this one tells the story of a a stripper named Zola who embarks on a wild road trip to Florida. And she, um, it's a friend that is, is with her, kind of drags her along with it. And there's some other characters involved. Don't want to really get into that unless you want to kind of be surprised. But, um, yeah. And so we just kind of see like what this road trip is all about and how insane it gets. I like this one. I think it is a deliciously dark comedy. There's also a lot of serious stuff in there that flips on a dime because of the performances and how tightly wound they are and just how uh, constructed this thing is. And so the threat level is there. 
but there's also a lot of darkly comedic things that make you giggle and laugh with just the absurdity of what's going on because this doesn't even feel like a real story. It feels like someone's imagination running wild, but it's so insane. And the way it's just kind of like laid out and uh, the kind of testimony that Zola had online, it's just like, you can kind of believe it as well, but it's just so over the top and so ridiculous. It fits the kind of film aesthetic of being a dark comedy. But like I said, the performances are so in tune to these characters that even some of the the danger elements can flip on a dime like that and really have you invested um, for this character's safety and, and wanting her to get out alive. And, you know, that has to, like I said, it has to do with the performances. But in terms of visual component, I really like the grainy look to it. It makes Florida pop a little bit more. It's visually pleasing. It's got that grainy kind of just rough texture around it, kind of like some of these characters. Um, everyone's kind of rough in this film, and so it kind of fits with that. It also makes it look vintage, which is a really um, just nice play on the eye. So there's that. Um, and this thing moves like a bullet. It's you know it's an hour and 26 minutes long, and I think which is the the pure entertainment value that this film brings. I think it really it um, it warrants its runtime. Nothing is wasted. And it's just it, it, it flies by, and I. Uh, I, I had a good time watching because, like I said, it's entertainment first, and I think it really delivered on that. But what really struck me were the performances. Um, the actress that plays Zola, Taylor Page, really great lead. I, I really just liked watching her to see like how she was going to interact with these people and just how she was going to take care of herself in the situations and how she was going to get out of everything. Like, really great character to follow. Riley Keno. If I, if I had my opportunity to create a supporting actress ballot for the Oscars, she could be in consideration to be on that list. Uh, she is absolutely unhinged in this movie, and I 100,000 billion gazillion percent believed her character. She was so committed to the role, I was kind of blown away. And I've seen her in a lot of other projects where... Like, I've seen her range before, and she's really good. This is the one where I was like, she can do whatever she wants now, and I can't wait to see where her, her career goes. But she was absolutely just outstanding as the uh, as the um, co-lead uh, uh, to Zola. And then, of course, the other MVP, absolutely terrifying, Coleman Domingo. Th this guy... I've seen him in projects where he's like kind of this sweet, nurturing, older brother, mentor type, like in Euphoria. And then you have stuff like Candyman in this where you're just like, I want to punch this guy in the face. He's so good at convincing you that he is evil that I could not, I could not look away. He commands your attention on screen. He commands you to watch this performance and he absolutely delivers. So all in all, I really like this one. It's a very entertaining one. As far as the prospects for like Academy Awards, I would put Riley Kino and Coleman Domingo for supporting actor and supporting actress. Maybe cinematography, but that's that's stretching it. It's mainly just those two, but I don't think it has a chance anywhere else. But that's just kind of my thoughts on at Zola. The next uh, A24 film that I missed that I would like to discuss is The Humans. Now, this one is actually based on a play. 
and it's uh, set inside a pre-war duplex in downtown Manhattan. The Humans follows the course of an evening in which the Blake family gathers to celebrate Thanksgiving. Excuse me. As darkness falls outside the crumbling building, mysterious things start to go bump in the night and family tensions reach a boiling point. So I mentioned that it was based on a play and it definitely shows and that I mean that in the best compliment possible. Usually when stuff is adapted from stage plays or Broadway or whatever, there is a certain style to it. It's very it's very laid out like a stage. It's very coordinated and very it's blocked like a stage play. Everything is self-contained. People are overlapping each other with dialogue. Things are, are, are hitting certain points like perfectly. Like people are standing and moving. And it's just, you can definitely, there's a, a, a certain synchronic energy to something that's adapted from a stage play because everything has to hit its mark and everything has to kind of seem very manufactured and kind of factory-like. But that's also kind of the, I guess, the, the good thing about this type of story is that it's constantly moving. It's constantly having characters combat one another with ideas and conversations. And you're kind of just interested in the family dynamic and just everyone uh, having their thoughts spewed out at all times. And that's kind of the whole point is that since they're stuck underneath this roof, everyone's just kind of spilling out everything towards each other, the good and the bad. And I think that's what makes a family dynamic. And I think that's what makes a family a family is showing the good and the bad side of everything. And the whole thing with this story is that it leads up to this emotional climax at the very, very end. And then it just cuts to credits and it kind of just, it leaves you sitting there kind of thinking about what, what the characters have said, like what, what lessons have they learned? Like, where are they going to go from here? What does the future hold for these types of people? And so um, just the, the dialogue and just the, the performances really kind of carrying this narrative to really just make you interested in these characters and just their, their problems and their struggles and all that stuff. It, it was really, really f like not, I wouldn't say fun. It was definitely um, uh, depressing in some parts, but definitely a, an interesting watch to really just kind of see like where um, these conversations would go, where they're going to lead to and where that breaking point is going to be. Uh, everyone in this movie is good and it, it is um, quite the cast um, Richard Jenkins, Amy Schumer, Stephen, uh, Ian, um, Beanie Feldstein, June Squibb, like what kind of group is this? It's so random, but that it gives each person a chance to shine. No one's overstepping each other. And I think everyone has their moment in this that I was really just kind of impressed by and really kind of seeing, um, like I said, each, each person's dynamic and just how they, they kind of came together. There's a lot of um, characters that don't really agree with each other, but I I still like their camaraderie. I still like their chemistry. It felt like a very organic family. It felt like someone uh, a family coming together for Thanksgiving and just um, just talking stuff out. And you know when you get to that like kind of emotional climax at the very very end. And also I must I must add the cinematography isn't really like anything to behold in this. There's a lot of like long takes. Uh, so a lot of room for the actors to breathe within the scene. So the cinematography is not like anything like spectacular. There's a couple of things that were really impressive, but that final shot was, it was so perfectly, 
encapsulates like the, just the the mood and the atmosphere of like what these people are going through. I thought that was so impressive and it left on such a high note. That's why I kind of sat there and thought about it for a little bit because of just the, the way it ends with the characters um, and the shot and the, just the, the situation, the dialogue, all that. It was, it was a perfect ending to this film. Um, but yeah, it, it definitely is a, it, it's a film that lets the actors breathe a little bit and just let, let them, let them loose the, it lets them have the conversations and it feels like this organic, um, situation. It doesn't feel like there's dialogue that's written for these people. It feels like they're just, you know, speaking from the heart. And I, I really enjoy that. So it just adds to the authenticity of it. So is it one of my favorites from A24 last year? No, um, but I I enjoyed it for what it was. Um, I wouldn't mind rewatching it again to maybe kind of uh, dissect it a little bit more and kind of really understand things um, like from certain characters because, like I said, it moves at a bullet. Um, like I said, people are talking constantly talking over each other, but that's usually how stage plays are. Um, but yeah, I, I wouldn't mind rewatching it. But if you're looking for um, movies that are set in one location or movies that are adapted from stage plays or if you're a fan of the stage play and you want to watch the movie, give it a shot. I think you'll really like it. I um, And one of my other complaints with it, it's not really a complaint, it's just more of a selfish thing. I wanted to see more because it ends on such a high note or a low note for some of these people that I wanted to see where they go from there. So that would be my only complaint is like, I, it was getting really good. It hits that point and then it just ends. Um, but there's a lot of good stuff in there. Uh, that I think, uh, if this is right up your alley, I think you'll really enjoy it. Does this have awards play? Maybe screenplay. Um, maybe adapted. That's probably my only bet for it, but I wouldn't hold my breath out. Um, you know, I, I think the, the performances are good, but I don't think they're like at that point where like I can be like, oh yeah, I, I would want these people to be nominated. Um, it's just one of those things to where like I appreciate what I saw, but I wouldn't really go beyond that. But adapted screenplay, I would give the the nod to. The next day, twenty four film I want to talk about that I missed that I've been super excited about because I'm a huge fan of Joaquin Phoenix, um, and I'm a huge fan of just whatever uh, he wants to do in his career, whether it be a, a blockbuster indie hybrid like Joker or these smaller films like Come On, Come On, and he he can do whatever he wants. I, I've been a huge fan of him ever since I was kind of blown away when I saw Signs uh, back in 2002. So yeah, I was 12 years old. I was aware of him, but I wasn't like aware of like the impact that he had in film until I saw that movie. So huge fan of him. Heard a lot of great things about this one, especially from um, director and writer Mike Mills and from Woody Norman, who plays the uh, his nephew in the film. So let's go ahead and uh, break down. Come on, come on. When his sister asks him to look after her son, a radio journalist embarks on a cross-country trip with his energetic nephew to show him life away from Los Angeles. So in the film, Joaquin Phoenix is kind of a podcaster. He goes around the country asking kids um, just their viewpoint on life because kids and adults have different um, stances on things. Kids are, are new to the world. They don't understand why things are the way they are they don't understand why there is so much you know hatred or or just um 
sadness. Like they, they can't comprehend that. And adults, you know, they have the opposite opinion. And so having this kind of perspective of like, what does a kid think of just basic things is really fascinating. And that's kind of like interspliced with the story. Well, also we have him reconnecting with his nephew and having this bond in this relationship that it seems like was kind of lost or kind of in tethers, especially with him and his sister as well. So he's trying to, you know, become that, that uncle that this kid has, has always wanted while also kind of showing him, you know, what his job is like and like, just like what the world is like and just kind of showing him what life is all about, what it means to be human, what it means to feel, what it means to emote. And that's really important um, since he doesn't really have a strong father figure in his life. And his uncle is the closest thing to that. This film is absolutely beautiful in every sense of the word. Yes, to get it out of the way, the black and white cinematography, gorgeous. It's it's wonderful. When they have, you know, the settings in LA, it's it's beautiful, it's warm, it's inviting. It just it it has like this warm sensibility to it just like the characters. It's very inviting, right? Then when they get to New York, it's a you know, there's a lot more um a lot more uh congestedness with like the buildings and like the people it's it's just a different vibe it's a different atmosphere and it really just kind of captures that in it's raw just kind of energetic form the cinematography is gorgeous and there's a lot of wide shots that are just just uh just beautiful in the way they're presented and you can you can freeze frame them and making them into a still still picture and hang it up on your wall it's just it's really good stuff And, and making it black and white and not in color, I thought was a genius move because it really kind of, it strips all of the kind of like vibrancy of life and strips it down to like the bare essentials, which is, you know, humanity and just like what it means to be here and like, and feel in the moment. And it's not about the surroundings. It's, It's about the people that we connect with and all that stuff. And so I thought maybe, maybe I'm just stretching Maybe that's not what Mike Mills was going for, but I think stripping the color away and getting down to like basics um, really just kind of showcases the actual true intention behind this film and like what it's trying to come across. Um, So I I thought the black and white kind of cinematography aesthetic was really, really well handled. The story itself is really, it's emotional. It's, it's really heavy. It's really sweet. It's honest it's it's sad it's happy it's got this wide range of emotions that it takes you through and it's a really just kind of satisfying journey as a human being to watch these characters go through the ups and downs of this relationship you know hearing the perspectives of other kids hearing the perspective of his nephew his sister why they're going through so much pain of grief and loss and it's just it's just a very like I said, a very just human film. And it really just kind of taps into all types of emotional gridlocks that some of us might hold that we have a hard time expressing. And I think this film also teaches you that on how to approach situations and how to uh, be vulnerable. Be it, it's, okay to, it's okay to cry. It's okay to be happy. It's okay to smile. It's, it's okay to do these things. 
Um, and so I think having that kind of like abrasive approach and really just like in your face, like these are the types of emotions that people go through. It is okay to express them. And I, I think, you know, Joaquin Phoenix teaching Woody Norman that in the movie was just, it was just a really just wonderful thing. And it really just gave me a lot of hope after the movie was done. It, it gave me hope for the characters, which they're, they're fictional characters, but it gave me hope for them and striking up their relationship and having it stronger than ever. It gave me hope as just someone that watched the movie and wants to do better in my life. So I, I got to thank Mike Mills on that. It is an impressive just piece of work um, to really just kind of be vulnerable and just show what it means to be human. And, uh, and like I said, I, I really like the perspective of like the kids and like having him interview the kids on like, you know, what is love? What is, what is lost? And what do you think of climate change? You know, just stuff like that. It's just, it's interesting to hear someone who is 20 years, 30 years younger than you explain, like, I don't understand why it is this, this way. Why can it be this? makes you ask questions it makes you question life it makes you question like you know what are uh our motives here on earth what what is what are our purposes like like why are we doing things that harm other people it's just it's just stuff like that that just it makes it such a genuine and positive experience and mike mills did that and like i said the he wrote and directed it as well not only is it crafted just like this beautiful painting uh story-wise character-wise and cinematography-wise but the dialogue is just also potent as well. It's just such a well-written script. And the performances are so heartfelt as well. Joaquin Phoenix can do no wrong in my eyes. He's made some so-so movies, but he commits 110% no matter what movie he's in. This is no exception. He's absolutely divine in this one. So is uh, Gabby Hoffman, who plays his sister. A really kind of just emotionally potent role. That's kind of the... Uh, defibrillator is that the thing that goes on your chest when they give you the shock she is the emotional injection for Joaquin Phoenix's character because he's a lost person he's got a lot of baggage on him and she's the one that kind of like gets him out of it and like tells him like this is your situation now you have a nephew you have me you need to figure yourself out and you need to understand like there's people in your life that care about you and you're harming them you're harming yourself with like this emotional baggage. You need to you need to f get it fixed, and so I, I kind of like that that positive reinforcement that they have on one another as siblings. It's really great stuff. And then Woody Norman, what, listen, child performances are tricky because most of them not that good, um, but then there are some that come along. They're just so good, it makes you. Uh, excited about what they're going to do in the future. Woody Norman is no exception. He is absolutely wonderful in this one. He is, he, he, he acts like a kid. It feels like a kid performance, but like there's a lot of um, authenticity with it. Like it doesn't feel like he's being like this bratty little kid. And like there's no like substance to it. Like he plays it so well. And like he, he plays it so organically that I just, uh, I was entranced by what he could do and how he can go toe-to-toe -to -toe with Gabby Hoffman and Joaquin Phoenix. He was definitely the glue of this entire film, especially with these, you know, the two uh, sibling characters. He's the heart of it. And so uh, 
yeah, I, I really love this one. Um, I, I think about it quite a bit, and I wouldn't mind rewatching it again. As far as awards uh, chances, this one I can actually see going semi-far um, with certain things. Mike Mills for uh, screenplay, for best original screenplay. I think he might have a chance for director, maybe. Joaquin Phoenix for actor, Woody Norman for supporting actor, even Gabby Hoffman for supporting actress. Cinematography, sound mixing, the um, just the the way this this movie sounds, and it sounds like an old tape recording, not with just the podcast interviews, but just in general, it feels like this um, this lost relic of footage that we're we're being like replayed into our ears. Uh, and I really like that kind of artistic choice to make it feel like this um, this long lost audio tape. So I think sound mixing has a chance. Um, I'm looking at the back here of like what they're trying to push for uh, awards consideration. Yeah, film editing. I, I put I would put uh, editing editing in there. Yeah, they definitely have sound mixing and stuff and sound editing and score. So I, I think this one actually has a pretty good shot. It'd be nominated for a bunch of different things. It's probably the the most likely one out of the bunch that I'm talking about with like the most nominations. But come on, come on, is a really really great one. Check that one out if you missed it. And the last A24 film that's getting a lot of um, things talked about it. Uh, I'll discuss it here. I have not seen the other one that's being compared to. That will be um, uh, on a later video, but. The last one I want to talk about is Red Rocket. This one focuses on Mikey Saber, played by uh, Simon Rex. He is a washed-up porn star who returns to his small town in Texas. Not that anyone really wants him back. I love that IMDb description. Uh, definitely kind of like a, a carefree, kind of douchey attitude. Fits perfectly with that character. So going into this, I was... I was kind of excited because it's directed by Sean Baker and he previously did the Florida project, uh, you know, Willem Dafoe and uh, Brooklyn Prince really nice movie. Um, what was it? 2018. It's been a long time since Sean Baker's last film, but I've always kind of liked his kind of like rough around the edges, like small town kind of like, you know, small character kind of perspective and just really kind of focusing on, um, how they interact with people around the town and just making it feel lively and lived in and, you know, showcasing characters with a lot of problems and just, you know, um, uh, really just kind of showing the underbelly of like small towns and stuff. And me being in Texas, I can tell you right now that this movie pretty much describes a lot of small towns uh, in Texas. I even grew up in one that was, it wasn't like small like this, but we had small towns around it that it kind of reminded me of that. So I think the uh, potency of showcasing like what a small town in Texas is like, Sean Baker, good job. I approve. But um, this was a really good one. Um, I don't know if I necessarily love it, and I don't know if it would be near as good if Simon Rex was not as phenomenal as he is. Simon Rex is the absolute driving force behind this movie. This character, this character is disgusting. He stabs people in the back. He is conniving. He is selfish. 
he gets what he wants whenever he wants because that's how that's how he thinks he leaves a path of destruction behind why follow this character it's a fascinating character study i'll tell you that much um i was glued to the screen watching this man uh balance depravity and sweetness all at once and that takes a hell of a performer to pull that off and simon rex absolutely delivered this man was juggling a thousand things at once making us feel somewhat sorry for him then taking it right back and making us want to punch him in the face then he'll go right back and it's just like he's starting to convince me that he he's going to change things around and like even the character at a certain point in the movie was just like yeah you're really good at convincing people that you'll change and stuff and he did that to me because he has that capability and that range as an actor to convince you otherwise and i absolutely loved it and he it's such a fearless performance there's a lot of things in this that feel unplanned feel um untethered and just kind of wild and he rolls with it there's a lot of things that happened in certain scenes where you can definitely tell it wasn't planned and he just rolls with the punch anyways he's just like hey the camera's still rolling i'm gonna go ahead and just be my character and just keep the scene going and that adds such a, a grounded nature to his character and it's just an absolute dynamite performance um there's even a, I, w- I was even hoping when watching this there would be a couple times where i get to see that simon rex um that i've never seen before and there was a couple times where i looked that man in his eyes while watching this and i was like yeah that that was a really great scene. that's your oscar clip right there so i cannot i cannot say how much i i really adore his performance it's just it's all over the place it's controlled at the same time he lives that character he breathes it it's it's really great stuff and that is the only thing uh maybe screenplay but that's the only thing i would actually think that would be dominated from this film is best actor for simon rex um speaking of everyone else in the movie everyone else is great it feels like they aren't even actors or actresses it feels like we we literally just went to this small town and we just started filming it excuse me and um they just happen to be on camera and they're just like, Hey, just interact with this person. It's just, it feels like a documentary at sometimes it just feels, um, too real <laughs> to where it doesn't even feel like it's actors, um, portraying anyone. So I, I really like that to the authenticity. It's shot really well. It's beautiful. Just like other Sean Baker films, really, um, showcasing warm colors and just the, the environment and just, um, just showcasing just everything he can within a scene whether it be buildings or or grass or people it's just it's it's very luscious environments and this is no different to comment on the uh the story a little bit because i know a lot of people are first of all licorice pizza is being thrown under the bus because of the age gap thing this one also has an age gap relationship i i just want to say this like Sean Baker's intent for this is not to show that this is okay. Um, Very much what Mikey is doing is pretty bad. Um, And it's, it's shown that way. It's shown that this is, this is not a good situation. Now, 
uh, and so it, it's presented in that way to where I didn't feel like, you know, oh my God, they're endorsing these kind of like really bad age gap relationships. I mean, cause this man's like in his forties. Um, he's dating a 17 year old in the movie. Unfortunately, that is the age of consent in, in Texas, whatever, but, um, that should be definitely changed. But, um, in the, in the film, it's, it's shown right off the bat that this is just a bad idea and he's manipulating this person and, and her dreams and just getting what he wants and how he can get back into the porn business. It's disgusting behavior, but like, you're just so fascinated as to how this guy even exists and how, how he hasn't, um, how he, how he survived all these years just by being a, a, a con man like this. And so, um, yeah, I, I, I don't think this film endorses that in any way, shape or form. So I just want to throw that out there. And also, what's fascinating is the end of the film. It's kind of open-ended. You don't really know if like any of this was actually true. So it could have been, it could have all been in his head for all we know. It could have been like this fantasy that he constructed because he's down such a dark path in his life that this is the only way to get him out of it is to fantasize about something that's not even real. So there's that. It, it, it's very it's very possible that the, the end of the film could explain the fact that what we were actually seeing was not even true. And it's a man going through like this midlife crisis and being alone and being shut off from everyone in the world. And that's even a more satisfying ending for him because he kind of gets what he deserves. So um, that's just kind of my comprehension of that. But I, I, I appreciated the ending because I didn't even see it coming. I was like, Oh, a little ambiguous ending. All right. So, yeah, um, it, it's uh, and also it's 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 really funny. Um, there's a lot of great dramatic elements too, um, and I, I think committing to both of those types of genres and tones really works for this type of character because he's all over the place. He's unhinged. You don't know what he's going to do next. He could break down in one scene, and you could feel really bad for him. Then he could do something stupid and moronic in the next scene, and do something disgusted, disgusting in the next scene. And so that's kind of the the roller coaster ride that. Mikey Saber, a.k.a. Simon Rex, takes you on, and Sean Baker takes you on as well. I really like this one, and I wouldn't mind re-watching it just to um, kind of dissect his performance a little bit more, but I think that is the only chance it has for award, awards consideration, so that's just kind of my thoughts on that. But that will do it, guys. Uh, my catch-up for the A24 films of 2021. Um, pleasure to talk about all like this in one fail swoop uh, instead of clicking on four separate things you get one giant thing but uh, let me know down below out of these four which one you've actually liked the most if i had to rank them right now live in front of you guys come on come on was my favorite then red rocket then at zola then the humans but you know what all good films uh i don't there, there wasn't one in here where i was like oh that was terrible or trash get out of here. And that will do it for my four uh, A24 reviews. Please let me know down below what you thought of the movies. And uh, I would love to know your opinions on them and uh, where they rank um, in terms of those particular four. If you liked one better than the other and you don't think, come on, come on, was as good as it was. And like you liked, you know, Red Rocket more. Just let me know. I'd, I'd like to know your thoughts. And that will do it for this episode 341. Episode 342. I want to. I haven't done these in a while, but I will do a top five anticipated episode um, for 2022. The movies that I am just super excited to see. So that should be a fun discussion. I think since I've been behind 
um, for a couple weeks. You guys are going to get this episode now. And then I'll probably drop this one in a couple days. So, yeah, I'll just kind of space them out that way. But that will be the next one. And then I, I'm seeing Licorice Pizza on Sunday. So what I'm thinking is, since these are two of the most controversial ones out there, I figure after the top five anticipated episode for episode 343, I want to do Matrix Resurrections and uh, Licorice Pizza. Now, I have seen Matrix 4 twice, so I could fully have a comprehensive review for you guys. And then I'll see Licorice Pizza this Sunday, so that will be 343. And for 344, what I was thinking was probably... It's probably going to be Scream and Hotel Transylvania 4. And then after that, I might have a French Dispatch and Belfast review just to do more catch-up. So that's kind of the prospect that I have. Uh, the schedule could change, but that's what I'm kind of eyeballing right now. So I hope you guys look forward to it. Um, so yeah, that will do it for this episode of the Real Me and Cold Movie Podcast. You guys are amazing. Uh, please have a good day or good night or whenever you're listening to this. Please spread this episode around. Show it some love. Let people know this is your favorite movie podcast to listen to. You guys are awesome. My name is Chase. This has been another episode. Uh, and I'll see you guys uh, for the next one. Goodbye.